welcome to the Be Your Own Health Hero podcast. I'm your host, Joe Martinez. This show is for everyone who wants to better navigate their health and wellness journey. You'll get tips, resources, advice, and maybe a funny story or two. So put on your capes and hold on to your hats because we're going to talk about it. Our healthcare system is tricky to navigate and intimidating, to put it mildly. But as much effort as you put into your fitness routine and eating habits, you have to be equally diligent about your health care. Now, I know I'm not telling you anything new here, but the truth is many of us do just the bare minimum in that area. We'll see our primary care doctors once a year, if that, and aside from medical emergencies, we'll only seek out a medical professional when we've had enough of the Internet's fatalistic solutions to the symptoms we plug into it. Like, got a paper cut? Congratulations, you're dying. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Google. If you have anxiety about seeing a doc, picking between a DO and an MD or an internist, or you don't know the difference between those professionals, maybe you're even worried about finding a specialist for a second opinion. My next guest will hopefully reduce your anxiety and arm you all with a little more knowledge on how to handle a seemingly overwhelming medical situation. So let me tell you about this phenomenal woman right here. Dr. Lisa Witty Bradley is a mother, wife, physician, author, entrepreneur, citizen, and constant dream chaser. Whew, what doesn't she do, y'all? On her website, lwbmd.com, you'll find a taste for all her passions, medicine, community engagement, patient advocacy, physicians, and the medical community at large. The platform also introduces us to Stella Jones, her author pseudonym, where you can dive headfirst into her world of paranormal romance. But she is also living with MS, and she fights hard as her own health hero on a daily basis. And did I mention she's one of my lifelong besties? Ladies and gentlemen, I bring to you the incredible Dr. Lisa. Welcome, girl. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I feel truly blessed to be here talking to you today. As you know, you have been my hero since kindergarten. Oh, Lord. And um, it is absolutely a pleasure to be here. And um, thank you for this entire movement. It is so critical to us all. Well, I thank you for coming all the way to your computer to chat with me. I'm really excited <laughs> that you're here. So let's get some of the big things out of the way. Please briefly tell the folks about yourself and where you are right now with your health journey. Well, first things first, and most importantly, I'm from Flatbush, Brooklyn. Brooklyn, yes. stand up. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> and um, I am a, a mom, a wife, a physician. I'm also a patient living with multiple sclerosis or a human being living with multiple sclerosis. And... Um, Although I still practice uh, part-time clinically, I spend most of my time uh, trying to educate and inform, empower, and elevate um, all of us that have to function in the medical community. So physicians, nurses, all of the uh, allied health, but most importantly, patients, because uh, oftentimes in the in the this monster called the medical industrial complex, patients often are secondary or tertiary in terms of importance 
and advocacy. So I have uh, tried to utilize my platform to even that playing field and improve the communication. And then I do all of that other stuff. But most importantly, I try and make sure that the people in our lives are protected and um, provided with critical resources so they can take care of themselves. And this is one of the most important things, reasons why I brought you here, because that is such important work. A lot of people feel like the medical practice is something that's complicated. It's convoluted. People have feelings, particularly in our community. They either have wary feelings about doctors or they just don't understand it and throw their hands up. So yeah. you being an advocate and, and, and definitely having one foot on either side of the pond really makes a big difference because I know that you do that with your clientele and you do that on your platforms or you try to explain things. So I really, really, I'm going to pick your brain here. Ladies and gentlemen, pull out your notebook because she got, she got gems that she's going to be dropping, y'all. So let's talk about your MS diagnosis and how that prompted you to switch from MD to patient mode. What did you see that made you want to go into patient advocacy on this journey? Um, well, you know, it was survival, right? So um, what I learned in a matter of moments after my diagnosis, and really even before my diagnosis, is that um, as a human being with medical problems going on, I was drowning. And um, even though I had all of this education and training um, and personal uh, experience taking care of people, when it came to my own health, I found that I was looking for answers and there were none, or I was being ignored, or um, uh, the people that I was speaking to and consulting with weren't advocating for me. They were ignoring my um, symptoms. Uh, they weren't providing me with the resources I needed as my um, symptoms were escalating. And I realized that if I didn't scream loud for myself, that I was going to drown. And, um, and I realized in that moment that if I was having these issues with all of this training and education and access to colleagues who were supposed to know all of this stuff, then what was happening to every other individual who may or may not have this experience that I had. And I knew that part of um, the oath I took as a physician was to take care of patients and to do no harm. And so I had to make sure that advocacy was number one on my line list of things to do as I reinvented myself. And one of the first conversations that I had with my neurologist uh, was a very frank discussion. And he told me I had moderate to severe disease in my initial symptoms. And if I didn't get it together, that I was not going to do well. And I, I was diagnosed at um, 38. And, um, you know, that's that's a long time to look into the future. We had a child who was uh, under one year of age um, I was in the process of, uh, I didn't have a, a job at the time because I was transitioning from one location to another. So um, I was looking at my own life and I was trying to figure out how, how could I create a template for myself 
in terms of advocacy, education, finding resources that I could then extrapolate and use for other people, for everybody that I came in contact with. And yeah, I couldn't keep it to myself. Building a template that you can use for everyone. That's yes. amazing. I love it. I mean, it, it's it's really difficult because people don't ask questions. They like to ask Dr. Google or WebMD. And WebMD is going to tell you, you dying in a heartbeat. Well, you know why, though, Joanne? Why? Because patients, uh, family members, and the community at large have been abandoned by many of the people um, who are supposed to be taking care of them. And uh, this is a frank discussion that we have to have in the medical community. Uh, people's feelings of fear, uh, anger, aggravation um, are brushed off as conspiracy theories. They're not conspiracy theories. People don't trust the healthcare industry because they have a reason. Their um, symptoms have, yeah, their symptoms have been ignored. They understand the history of systemic racism, um, uh, preferential treatment towards the rich and those in the majority. They have an absolute reason to have uh, distrust in the medical industrial complex. We have to acknowledge that, we have to accept that, and we have to correct that. So when your patients come in, and the first thing that people need to do is listen, okay? Because people tell you what the problem is, okay? Sometimes it takes, it's a little convoluted, okay? I myself am a, a chatty Cathy, so sometimes it takes me a bit to get my point across. But we have, we're taking care of something very sacred. We are taking care of people's bodies. We're taking care of people's spirits, their minds, and we have a job to do. And it's sacred. Um, and I think that gets lost. It does. In the, in the I think much like police officers, physicians tend to see people at their worst. Absolutely. Something that I don't think a lot of people take into consideration. Um, and, and right now, the crisis, particularly of like black maternal health, is, is something that is being brought to the fore by a lot of celebrities like uh, Serena Williams, Gabrielle Union. Like they've all brought these things up that they talk about going into a medical practice and saying, this is what's happening to me. This is what I'm feeling and being ignored, being brushed off. And it, it, is, it is fascinating to me that there are so many doctors who are oblivious not just the fact that like, okay, for example, we tend to tell our society, our police officers should reflect the community, right? They should know when they go into Flatbush, what it's like where you have to tell the difference between a Jamaican, a Haitian, a Bajan, you know, and, and understand the, the cultural differences therein. Why not the same with our medical professionals who are, some are just chasing the almighty dollar. Some are in cahoots with the insurance companies and trying to navigate all that instead of paying attention to the patients. And there's not enough of our doctors and our people reflected to be able to take us seriously when we walk in. Like you go into a doctor's office and, and you're scared because something's wrong. Either it's a yearly checkup or you just want to make sure everything's working fine 
but you go into those and sometimes you hear unexpected things. For example, I just went to my primary care physician and I heard some stuff that I was like, really, what, how, what is that? You know, so it's, it's difficult to ensure that people go in and get the treatment that they need, that they deserve, and that comforts and soothes them at the worst times of their lives. So let's talk about, uh, I want to go back and break down the difference between a DO and MD and all that, but let's talk about what a healthcare team should look like in your eyes. Like what should a person do when they're going in, whether it's a regular annual checkup or if they go, have to go in for something more complicated, what should a person do? What are the steps? Get your notepad, y'all. <laughs> okay, so now, of course, this is my opinion based on uh, my experience as a physician and a patient. Um, but the first thing is, is that we have to start from this moment forward, wherever you are in your healthcare journey. From this point forward, you should be looking at things from a central health perspective of not just looking at things in crisis, but how can we create um, a, a safe environment? How can we create um, a, a continuum of health, right? Where And that starts at, in our homes. That starts with how we look at um, how we're going to manage our care. So that means from a preventive standpoint, from um, a dietary standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, how can we get all of these things um, to be in our pie chart, right? So um, we can't just look at things that, uh, okay, now I have diabetes, now I need to get things under control. Well, if that's where you are in your journey, then we will deal with that. But whether you have an acute crisis or whether you are just listening to this as um, somebody whose health is stable, we have to create a continuum of good health practices. And I am putting a qualitative on it, good health practices. So that starts with how we nurture our bodies, right? And then also pursuing how we're gonna find a primary care, either physician or nurse practitioner or physician's assistant or whoever it's going to be that's going to help you create that continuum of care or a naturopathic doc, wherever, wherever, whatever you want to do. But we have to start with that foundation, right? So um, if you have insurance or if you don't have insurance, right, all of those things are also going to factor in. But whether you have Medicaid or private insurance or Medicare, there is some type of access on the physical card that you have, right? I would start there. What are my options for care? Do you have access to a primary care doctor? Or in your area, there aren't many physicians, so your options are nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, or, or the like, and start building a team of advocacy for yourself, right? Because a lot of times, patients come in the office and are frustrated because they have an acute illness. Then you have a team who doesn't know you from Adam. And then we're trying to just 
focus on this one thing. You have pneumonia. You have diabetic ketoacidosis because your blood sugars are out of control and you didn't know you were diabetic and now you're coming in. We have to manage that. We want to start building a team. So sometimes as a plastic surgeon, I see somebody uh, diabetic with a chronic wound, right? So it may be that they develop this wound. They don't know they have diabetes. When they're in the hospital, that's our time to try and acutely get them a team of care. The endocrinologist who manages their blood sugars, the internist who is just globally taking care of their blood pressure, their blood sugars, their nutrition, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then they have a nutritionist or a dietitian that comes in. They have a discharge planner who's going to help them with everything as an outpatient. These are our golden opportunities to create a team on the outside. Who's going to manage all of this stuff for you? So you can't just have an internist in the hospital. Who's going to be my primary when I get out? Let's get that established. And oftentimes, uh, you know this from a fitness standpoint, as a physician, my family members will call me and say, hey, um, I'm having problems with my vision. I'm a diabetic and I'm in the hospital right now because this is going on. And the first thing I tell them is, okay, this is what I want you to do. Have the discharge planner come in and get you a team for outpatient, right? Social worker, uh, your um, endocrinologist, your ophthalmologist, your, um, and let's get your diet under control. So who's going to manage that? These are your times when acutely you can wrangle a team together. But if you're just seeing a, um, if you're just on the outside and you're listening to this broadcast, what you should do is whatever your insurance source is, Medicaid, Medicare, private insurance, you got uh, employed, uh, you're under your your jobs insurer, find out what your access is and get an appointment established. Um, Also, I would talk to people in your circle. Hey, do you have a primary doc, a nurse practitioner, a family practitioner, an internist that you recommend? We've had this discussion. Right. Absolutely. Um, talk to your folks because they will eliminate a whole group of people. Like, please, let me give you the list of the folks not to reach out to. Take that yes. advice. But yes. And unfortunately, what happens is that the good folks they're overburdened <laughs> with referrals. Right. But everybody, I'm gonna go see this one. <laughs> right. But talk to your folks, and if that means you have to go two more stops on your train to get to a better provider do it because those people will be lifesavers because even though they're farther away um they likely take more time they likely have a team in the office already established that helps them right they have um an extension of themselves in the office so whether that's um the uh certified nurse assistants that are in the office or the nurses, the scheduling nurses, or whoever it is, usually if you have somebody who has a good, you're getting referred to somebody, they usually have a good team in the office because you you have to, right? because you can't operate on an island. right? And so um, start with finding out recommendations, talk to your insurer. um, And at this point, we have such an expansive digital network. We have, you know, the internet, Mm -hmm. sometimes there will be, um, your, uh, 
help me out, Joanne. Your um, which the public health things in your in your neighborhood. Oh, um, the city. Of- your, the health department. Yes. Your health department, right? So your health department. I was actually, and this is very frightening, but I was actually just at my um, city tax assessor's um, uh, office, and the tax assessor's office is um, in conjunction with the health department. So I'm sitting there getting my, uh, doing my tax appeals, and the receptionist is talking to somebody about like maternal health management for somebody. But anyway, the point is, I digress. The point is, is that the health department can be a liaison for you, right? So utilize those resources. And actually the health department during the earlier part of the COVID pandemic was instrumental locally in getting folks access to COVID testing, referrals to, um, and everywhere, not just here, yeah. um, and getting you resources that you otherwise wouldn't know uh, that were available to you. And also, you know, your health department is also who um, identifies people who have been exposed to sexually transmitted diseases and all of this other type of stuff. So utilize those resources um, at your disposal. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So just building that type of healthcare network, um, it starts locally. Um, and so, um, uh, what a an ideal um, health environment for me looks like um, is not just managing the acute issues, right? So you may see your internist and you your blood pressure's mildly elevated and they may manipulate that through talking to you about your diet, what are you doing in terms of your um, your your you know your water intake, all of this type of stuff. But also, usually within that enterprise of some type, um, they either have an in-house um, nutritionist or a dietitian or somebody like that, um, and they also have a network of people that they refer to, either in their office space or outside. Get that referral base, right? So whether it's physical therapists, whether it's- um, A specialist of uh, some sort. Right, whatever that is, and, and talk to that healthcare professional that you trust because more than likely they have a good network of folks they can refer you to. And it, um, it goes mm-hmm. to say that they work well with the people that they're referring you to. So yes, clearly they know. I know sometimes you go into doctors' offices and they have that network that they say, okay, this person not only do I work well with them, but they're also within your insurance. Yes. They're, they're going to be one of the providers that you can see easily. So right. definitely something that is should be said that sometimes when they make a referral, it's not just to funnel money. It's actually because it works for what you're working with, which is. Right. So there's there's something called a Stark's Law um, that you cannot um, refer people for personal financial gain. Right. That's illegal. Okay. And so. Even though, you know, there's a lot of, uh, especially during the pandemic, there were a a lot of discussions on social media that physicians or other healthcare professionals were getting kickbacks uh, for research and doing testing and all of that. Um, Those things are, have been outlawed. Now, people are correct. At one point, there was a whole lot of backroom dealings and what the, and that was, 
um, you know, legislated because that impacts patient care. It sure does. Right? And so you can't just, you know, it, it's like, well, yeah, I'm like, this guy's going to give me $500 per patient for somebody I refer on. This guy's going to be $100. Well, you know, yeah. I want a boat. I want a jet ski. Right. So they had to outlaw all of that stuff. So I understand, you know, but once again, those um, feelings of fear and anger and, and um, thinking that the actions of physicians um, are about malfeasance come from a, a, a true place. Right. But a lot of times, what we have is extrapolation of those fears onto things that aren't going on currently. Um, and so we have to make sure that um, we're uh, researching, that we're talking to our patients, because sometimes people come in and they're angry. That needs to be addressed, right? You shouldn't just come in and start blowing people off like, okay, Mr. Angry, uh, your blood pressure high. No, it's like, good morning. How are you? And it's basic stuff a lot of times that have pissed people off. Your office, front office has rescheduled this patient 500 times or the patient's been out in the waiting area waiting for 45 minutes, two hours with a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on that if you simply take a moment and and understand that you're dealing with human beings that have experiences outside of the exam room, you can, you can get over these hurdles and you can create a, a better relationship. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, I have had many a days where I come in and say, good morning, I'm Dr. Whitty Bradley. It's awesome to meet you. And it's like, you know, like biting <laughs> sounds and gnashing. And I stop. Because I've learned, A, I'm talking to a human being here. B, there's a reason why I'm getting gnashing of teeth and I'm just meeting this individual. Or even if it's somebody established. And take a breath. Sit down. Look people in the eye. Don't go straight to the computer. And say, hey, I'm Dr. Whitty Bradley. I'm, uh, I'm the plastic surgeon taking care of you. Thank you very much for coming to see me. Um, you were referred by so-and-so. How are you today? It's it's a world of acknowledgement that makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. And I'm in a rush. Of course I'm in a rush, right? I'm working for the system, just like you're living in this system right now. It's a rush, but you have to, have to, have to slow it down. And taking, believe me, for any um, healthcare professionals, particularly students who are listening right now, uh, trainees who are listening right now, taking 30 seconds, 60 seconds to slow it down and acknowledge that somebody has come to the office and has um, honored you with being able to take care of them. It changes the dynamics. It changes the, all, the energy in the room. How are you? And, 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 and how are you today? That slows things down, right? Because they're ready to bring the hammer down, right? They won't, they're going to bring the hammer down on whoever will listen. And they will tell you how they're doing or how they're not doing. 
and you can get a lot out. You will get a lot out of that. And it won't take long. People, they peter out. You know, it's like this happened today or your office staff was not very kind to me or um, I could not get through on the phone here. It kept going to message. That's a whole lot nicer they, than how I would say it. But <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, but the thing is, is that you can you can resolve a lot of issues. First of all, you can say, I apologize that you had to wait 45 minutes. Unfortunately, I had an emergency or unfortunately, there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that people don't see. People have fainted in the office. People, sometimes people come in and they're in crisis. Somebody before you may have had a blood pressure of 220 over 140. We had to send them to the emergency room. There's a lot of stuff. Or, you know, like a lot of times uh, people will go for their annual GYN exam. Their, their gynecologist is also an obstetrician who may have gotten caught up in a delivery. Or, you know, there's a lot of things that happen. And so a lot of times you're saying, I'm very sorry you had to wait. Thank you so much for waiting. Um, that diffuses things. Or, you know, they'll say, hey, it's taking me three months to get in here. Like, thank you so much for your patience. I'm so glad you're here. Um, your primary doc referred you here. And, uh, you know, I, I'm so glad that you're here now. Because you, who has, you? I don't have any control. Right. That, you know, it took you three months to get in here. I, you know, but a lot of times just acknowledging people and then saying, um, you know, I read your chart, please providers review. People are spending 20 and 30 minutes on the battle hymn of the Republic. Please take some time to just briefly review it because I'm a patient as well. Right. And I've filled out documents and they send you threatening messages, email, you better have this filled out before we get here. And then I get here and you're asking me like, and where did you do kindergarten? Like, bro, right. that's all in the intake stuff that I filled out already. Now, and so it, you're right. You're like, these are like basic things. And the other thing is you told me, <laughs> you told me that um, on your form, there was something about somnolence. It's like, are these people crazy? It's like, put basic Put basic things on uh, the intake forms. Have you, uh, you know, is your, you know, do you have hypertension, parentheses, elevated blood pressure? You know, basic things so that not everybody, everybody has a different level of medical literacy. Thank the you. other thing is, is that some people may be speaking a different language. Mm -hmm. Some people may have, um, you know, uh, uh, neurological issues and they can't comprehend certain things. And you also have a significant amount of the public that is functionally illiterate, period, right? So sometimes people haven't filled out documents because they can't comprehend or they cannot read. And we have to be, you have to be aware of this. Okay, because a lot of times people are angry because they're they feel shame or they're embarrassed or they're fearful that you're going to judge them. Uh, like I, I, I talked to um, a friend of mine last night on an Instagram live and I, I disclosed to him that um, there's a significant number of my patients who do not disclose on any documentation. And these are people that I've seen for 
sometimes months or years, who have never disclosed to me that they are an alcoholic yeah. or that they were um, that they, an addict. I mean, and that's essential. And so, you know, there are people who have been patients of mine who have had strokes. Like, why did you have a stroke at 42 years of age? Do you have a family history of, uh, you know, hypertension or whatever? And, I, and, it, and it's not until I dig through three years of their hospital chart to realize that it was a substance that resulted in that stroke or I have to keep needling them like what do you have a family history of this is anybody else in your family had a stroke at 43 years right right what what's going on and then they disclose it and it's like okay now and that also leads to what else has happened in their health journey right right and so also when you respect the patient and you create an environment where of safety people are more likely to disclose these things which are critical to you being able to take care of them effectively now this leads me to talk about when you go for a doctor's appointment whether it's something more serious or even if it's just your basic what you should do so we had a conversation about the things we need to do as patient advocates on a basic level for ourselves right and yes. I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I went to my primary care physician. I had to change doctors recently and had to get a new primary care physician. And I went in armed with everything Dr. Lisa told me, and it changed the whole game. So I had seen this doctor, and our first meeting was she just talked and talked and talked. She asked me about Thanksgiving. She asked me about my, my family. Listen, lady, I don't have the time to be waiting here in your office for an hour, and then we get in here and... You're not really asking me pertinent questions, right? right? right so it's right. like, I get it that you're trying to be personable, but what is going on here? Right. Um, so one of the things we talked about was being proactive and taking notes. Yes, yes. Or yes. having someone with you that can listen and be able to, because you know, sometimes you go in, let's say you go in with your spouse, you mm. go in and the doctor will tell you some crazy news, like, okay, you know what? You have hypertension and we're going to have to put you on medication. Sometimes shocking information, that's where it stops. And you don't listen to anything they tell you after that about your care. Having right. someone else there to be able to say, this is what the doctor said. The doctor said you need three chickens and a piece of gum. And you're like, I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> when did they right. do that? Because you're stuck on something that they said that shocked you. So right. we talked about taking notes. We talked about going in with the person. So I walked in mm-hmm. to this primary care doctor's office to get my blood work results because mm-hmm. annual checkup, you get everything checked out. And mm-hmm. I sat there and pulled out my phone and she was like, okay, we're going to go over it. I'm just going to read this to you. And when she saw I was taking notes, she goes, oh, well, since you're taking notes, like I can print this out for you. I was like, that's fine. But I like to hear what you're saying so that I can take my own notes and compare to just the bare numbers on a page so that you can tell me each and everything that you're reading and what that means. So she took her time when she recognized that I was being proactive for myself and was like, oh, all right. So now you have a brain. Okay, cool. So I'm going to tell you, this is what this is. This number is this, and it should be here. And you're in this bracket so that, you know, she wouldn't just tell me, okay, liver's fine. Kidney's fine. Because most of the time they just brush people off. If you go into an office looking like you're uninterested and can't be bothered, they're going to be uninterested and can't be bothered too. 
So it's a give and take. But let's go over the, the, the tips and tricks for the fam. So go in there and take notes. Okay, so let me let me let me start. Let me let me go back a little bit. All right, all right. So I'm gonna disclose to the audience what happened when um, I was diagnosed. So I was admitted uh, to the hospital with just very wild neurologic symptoms. Like, and by that, I mean that um, you know your brain regulates everything: your sensation, your movement. Um, your ability to think, your eyes blinking, everything you do is regulated by the brain. And um, my symptoms were very unusual. And most people with MS will tell you the same. It's like just wild symptoms. And everybody was like, I don't know what's wrong with you. And so eventually it got to a point where my body was just shutting down. They admitted me to the hospital and they did a spinal tap. And uh, they did an MRI of my brain and they shoved me into a hospital room and told me, and just let me percolate. And the next morning, um, the neurologist, right, the, the, the nerve and brain specialist came in and said, uh, pulled up my MRI. And as soon as I looked at it, right, because I'm used to looking at MRIs and CT scans and all this stuff. As soon as they brought it up, I knew I had multiple sclerosis because there's... Um, there, there are things that we call pathognomonic, which means that this specific thing, um, whether it be your symptoms or something on a radiology report, means this, okay. right? So pathognomonic means this specific pathology, whether it's how you present in symptoms or that radiographic finding or ra this, so x-rays, CTs, or a lab study means this diagnosis. And so when they put up that MRI and I looked at it, I knew I had multiple sclerosis, right? Even though they were like jibber, jabber, jabber, jibber, jabber, jabber. Because I was, as soon as I looked at the scan, it was like, okay, right, everything shut down. But when she said, and you have multiple sclerosis, you might as well have put the TV on mute. Right. Because I didn't hear a solitary thing mm. ever. And I told you, she could have hypnotized me. They could do anything. <laughs> I would never be able to draw back. Yeah whatever they said. And they were talking for a while, like jibber, jabber, jabber, jibber, jibber, jibber. And like, I just kind of went. The Charlie Brown womp womp. Yeah. I mean, it was like my, my, I was floating above my body, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there, there are a couple of reasons why I tell that because A, um, in actuality, they should have either brought one of the nurses in who was taking care of me to be with me or um, said, hey, you should probably, you know, is, is your husband around or somebody so that I can have some support there, right? Um, the other thing is, is that um, they gave me that information and then it was like, okay, good luck, right? We're going to bring the, th the physical therapist in to walk you around to make sure you're stable, et cetera, et cetera. But um, there was no real way for me to advocate for myself in that moment. And so from that, um, uh, I, I learned how to make sure that patients advocate for themselves. So that point moving forward, of course, I went to Dr. Google too, because I wasn't getting anything from my team. Um, and I, I researched and researched and researched, but what I started doing was when I was seeing people, 
even as a physician, I was right, going to the office, writing things down um, and making sure that I said, I have questions um, or can I ask questions, right? Because I think the misconception is that I'm going in as a physician and everybody's going to be like, we're going to give you this PowerPoint presentation uh, because no, they're trying to rush me out. Just like you're trying to rush everybody else out. Right. So advocating for yourself in that moment. But then I also, um, as a, a physician living in the Chicagoland area, there's a lot of people who are Spanish speaking only or Polish speaking only. Mm-hmm. And what we do for those patients, period, immediately is you either have to bring a translator with you mm-hmm. or we're going to call. Uh, on the 1-800 number and get you a translator because there's a language barrier. And as a physician or as a healthcare professional talking to your patients, you are speaking a different language. And so what uh, we recommend is that you come in with your questions or after that, and I mean, we, by my practice, write your questions down right um or bring somebody with you to help advocate and that doesn't that person doesn't have to say anything a just physically them being there is a support right so i take care of a lot of breast cancer patients right breast cancer survivors and oftentimes they bring somebody with them because they are getting you know the wind knocked out of them from the time they get the diagnosis till the uh, recovery period and, and so on and so on and so on. So they have somebody with them and that makes all the difference. And you can see the difference in how patients recover and how they process in those who have somebody with them and somebody who doesn't because you get lost. You get, I mean, sometimes patients will have three, four appointments a day. Mm -hmm. You have to, you have to manage transportation finances, you're arguing with the insurance company, and then you got to come in and talk to me. Right. right. And I'm going to tell you the entire history of plastic surgery in 45 minutes. It's overwhelming. Right. And so having someone with you really helps. Even if they're just taking notes or listening, they give you a different perspective. When you get home, they'll be like, okay, now remember she was talking about your dreams after surgery and what you're going to have to do. What dreams, right? There's a lot of stuff they're focusing on, am I having a lumpectomy? Am I having a mastectomy? I'm getting a reduction on the other lot, on the other side to make them match. Is that going to be covered? All of these things I have stated, but it's impossible for you to recall all of that. You can't retain it. Right. So um, things that people do to advocate for themselves, whether they have somebody with them or not, is writing things down. So I recommend for people have a journal. And that journal is just about your health process. Put the date down, who you saw, what are we talking about? So my name is Mary Spatula. I saw Dr. Witty Bradley today about my breast reconstruction. She's a plastic surgeon. These are my options. Um, The other thing is I give people a tremendous amount of information, whether it's pamphlets or referrals to the American Society of Plastic Surgeons so they can review things on their own. Um, but sometimes you're not given that information um, and you you should ask, okay, I'm diabetic. What does that mean? Right. How right? does that affect what is going on with me right now? 
yeah, I'm okay. So my blood sugars are high. Why do I have these wounds on my feet? Right. My blood sugars are high. I can't feel my toes. What, what does high blood sugar have to do with that? Right. Right. Because a lot of times things aren't explained and very simple things can be said to explain that. Right. Why, you know, what does my pancreas have to do with diabetes? What's juvenile? Okay, my sister has juvenile onset diabetes. I have type two diabetes. What does that mean? Right. Or you know, um, we also discussed cultural competency. I was just going to talk about that. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, um, the, the, there's a divide between healthcare professionals, specifically physicians, mm -hmm. and patients because there's a lack of cultural competency, Absolutely. right? And that is why a lot of the times patients will go two cities over or there'll be a, a physician next door to them or a nurse practitioner next door to them and they will get on a bus and travel for 35 minutes because that healthcare professional not only just actually speaks your language, but also culturally speaks your language and understands and doesn't brush you off. And understands that when you say, yes, I eat greens every day, that you're talking about collard greens that are um, saturated with fat yep. and have been stewing for three hours mm -hmm. and that that's not necessarily the best thing for your health. Right. And that your, um, high, your blood pressure is high because there's not only you're not only just salting the greens, but you also have put fat back in the greens, right. which has been preserved with salt. And so yeah. having someone who um, is competent about your cultural norms, and that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're from the South and your ancestors were enslaved on the same plantation. <laughs> That's not my point. Okay. I mean, I'm somebody who right has, right. So I'm talking about somebody who has taken the time to not only live in work in your community, for a decade, but also learn about the community right. in that time period. That, that, okay. That's, that's a, a good point to me because I had a nutritionist for a while. Mm -hmm. I love her. She's amazing. She's Italian. And mm -hmm. when I went into her office, I had to explain to her that patients eat much more pasta, if not more than Italians do. We think we invented lasagna. But like, <laughs> all of our dishes have some element of pasta to it in addition to rice and starchy vegetables and all of that stuff but mm -hmm. i did explain to her that had i gone to a nutritionist who was black that would have been three sessions that would have never happened because they would have already had an understanding when i walked in the office about some of the cultural differences when you talk about a Caribbean, automatically we Caribbeans understand one another and say, oh, so dinner is always going to be rice, a vegetable, and a plant, a protein. Like, what it, it's not what are you having for dinner, it's what are you having with your rice. That's exactly how it goes. So she took that and was very appreciative of me letting her know the cultural differences. And, and I wasn't, I, I looked at it as an opportunity to, to teach in that moment because I wanted the best out of our relationship. Yeah. So I had to explain to her, like, I get it. I know what it's like to go in for the holidays. And if you're trying to eat healthier, or if you're not eating large volumes, your family looks at you and goes, what are you sick? Are you okay? 
You know, mm-hmm. God forbid you walk in and tell somebody you're a vegetarian. Wait, wait, wait. So we, we're going to give you lamb. Like, you know, like it's, it's this craziness that, that you have to explain sometimes. And, and I had the opportunity because I wasn't in dire straits and trying to deal with an acute, crazy, life-threatening issue at the time. So I could sit and speak to my medical professional and, and kind of shoot the shit and let her know, okay, this is what it's like. But having someone who understands the culture is key and important. And I think that for those medical professionals out there um, that are listening, if one of your patients comes in to tell you something, don't just say, ah, whatever. Okay, that's nice. That's cute. Don't brush it off. Don't blow it off. Take that information and, and do something about it. Use it to your advantage for your client. Right. But the, the other thing is we have to understand, and this is something that um, needs to be addressed in the uh, medical uh, industrial complex, is that everything is uh, uh, based on a European standard. It's very Eurocentric. Right. So it's it's also very it's also very male centered. Right. So the metrics are based on a 70 kilogram white male. OK, everything. And so it, that it, that's the norm. Right. And so part of um, reeducating and improving healthcare outcomes is also us inquiring, asking. Right. Because. Um, and this is going to sound horrible and my husband always has to check me on my tone but when somebody comes in and, and like so for a plastic surgeon and the other thing I want you guys to understand is that the the um, the uh, public's perception of plastic surgeons is that we do boobs and butts and that is, that is a, a, a very lucrative aspect of plastic surgery. But your average plastic surgeon is doing breast reductions. They're doing breast reduction, breast reconstruction for breast cancer patients. They're doing skin cancer or benign skin lesion conditions. They're doing uh, facial fractures. So when you come in and you got a broken jaw or a broken eye socket or something like that, um, we're helping uh, orthopedic surgeons cover broken bones because the, the bones are exposed. We're doing these type of things that are essential for life. Um, and we also do boobs and butts, right? But when you, um, and of course I'm going off on a tangent and forgot the point I was trying to make. You this your is- husband always tells you you're harsh when you say, oh yeah, okay, thank you. So that got me back on track. So when I see patients, uh, for breast reduction, for example, um, the insurers, and this is another way that we advocate for our patients, is that I learn uh, what different insurers require for um, approval for um, breast reductions. And one of them is making sure that we try and uh, bring the weight down to try and reduce the size of the breast and reduce the symptoms on your neck and your shoulders and your back. Um, and also bringing the weight down can sometimes improve like rashes in between and underneath the breast, usually not, but this is just one of the loop, you know, the things you have to jump through. And so we create a team. Okay, this is the physical therapists that are in network that'll help you with strengthening and blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when I talk to patients, you know, um, they'll be like, I don't understand why I can't get my weight down because I eat, insert whatever that traditional 
uh, healthy food is. No, right. So like I eat salads all the time. And so this is how I address that. I want you to give me the ingredients of the salad just so I have an idea, right? And invariably there is lettuce or spinach of some type, right? But then I say, but I specifically, I don't accuse anybody, but I say, I want you to tell me everything that's in the salad. And I mean everything. Don't leave out one thing. And invariably, the dressing or there are certain condiments like (laughs) bacon, you know, that is contributing to our crisis okay everything is better with bacon let's just right but listen listen <laughs> listen but the don't salad. nobody better say nothing bad about bacon but we have to and the other thing uh that i have learned is i do blitz plays on people right so you are not going to see me coming so when you come in to the office I often, and I shouldn't even be saying this because this is one of my blitz plays, but I I tell people when they come in the office, and this also gives me a few minutes in case I have to run out and do something, I say, I want you to tell me everything that you ate for the last week and don't leave anything out, right? So I, if you tell people two months ago, Right. that I want you to give me a health di- diary for the week before you came in, you know, they're going to be like, I ate unleavened bread. <laughs> you know what I mean? I talked to Jesus and he sent me a packet of, you know, it's like, <laughs> that's not what you normally eat. Right. Right. You didn't eat what you didn't eat. What uh, Jesus and the apostles ate. That's not your, on your normal regimen. So I do a blitz play. And so I say, um, I want you to write down, or I just narrow it down to the last 24 hours. I want you to tell me everything, snacks included, of what you ate in the last 24 hours. And 75% of the time, people will say, well, the last 24 hours is not reflective. It's like I start getting commercial disclaimers. Right, like, right. like, listen, hey, I want you to tell me what you ate in the last 24 hours. And be like, well, wait a minute. Now, I had uh, five snacks, but that's because... Right. <laughs> my, my husband took me to Popeye's because my <laughs> right. Our car broke down, and it happened to be next door to the, my favorite restaurant. Like right. so, um, you know these, but these become um very uh, salient discussions. Yeah, where we can really get to the root of how our daily practices are contributing to our, our health outcomes. So. It's very important. And to be honest with you, uh, the other thing is no judgment, right? There's no judgment here. And when I, when I refer people to a nutritionist or uh, I tell them that we're not going to get approved immediately for your surgery because of X, Y, Z. But these are things, and I really stress this point, when we incorporate these things, this is not transient, right? Our job is to improve your health globally. We do this with the same thing with exercise, right? It's like yeah. habit is it's a habit forming thing that you have to make the decision. Okay, I'm not going to get up and run 26.2 miles tomorrow. And right. even for those of those people who are marathoners, they don't get up and run 26.2 miles when they decide that they're going to do a marathon. There's a training process. 
Yeah, well, otherwise they're going to die. Right. Unfortunately, some of them die at the finish line anyway. Exactly. But that's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole nother thing. Is, everything is, is a stair step and moderation. So <laughs> in looking at it from my aspect, I decided I was going to do a 13.1 mile race, or I decided I was going to do a triathlon, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And God love you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I had to find a plan that built my endurance up in three sports and mm-hmm. then find a plan that integrated all those three sports, all one on top of the other. That's mm-hmm. not something I got up one day and said, shit, I'm going to go do this. Right. No, crazy as I am for doing it. But mm-hmm. I still had to find a plan. And there's people that put these things out there that you find beginner triathlete, beginner marathon, couch to 5K. Nothing happens the next day. Nothing happens when you think about it. If that were the case, shit, I'd be skinny and pretty <laughs> with a six. Dollar, you are pretty. And, and ain't nothing wrong. Ain't, ain't nothing wrong with the chunk in the funk. <laughs> I got a lot of junk in the choice, y'all. I got junk in the choice since I was 11. <laughs> and Dr. Lisa can attest to the fact that my uniforms did not fit like everybody else. They, they, fit, they fit how they were supposed to fit. Yeah, I said like everybody else's. Yeah, they, I, I, I invented the high-low. My mama had to hem everything different for me. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> and guess what? Now everybody is paying top dollar to get for the this, high to the low. Right, to get this BBL back in. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, God love it. I I praise the Lord that I don't have to go under the knife to get what God gave me. Because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. That's a whole other topic and a whole other you were, You know what that was? You were ahead of the time. I was. You were ahead of the curve. I, listen, I'm ahead of the curve and, and playing the game. But that's a whole other conversation on on the plastic surgery specific episode i will invite you back for that girl that's a whole lot so i'm gonna take a turn here and ask you some fun questions i know i sent you some fun questions but i i I hope you don't think too hard so these are just like rapid fire things rapid fire Right, right right give the audience one fun fact about yourself Ooh. um I don't know that um that I love hip hop and I have a potty mouth. Oh, okay. This is why we've been friends for life. <laughs> yes, because I think we started cursing at the same we time. Sure I started cursing in the third grade. Well, I think yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, about that. What is mm-hmm. your go-to jam that gets you moving and grooving? Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, because you like that. You know, it depends on the day of the week. I like a song that comes on, and no matter how many times I hear it. You know, it's going to be like, everybody quiet, quiet. That'd be like, you know, Biggie, One More Chance. Um, Or any uh, reggae and rockers from the the, uh, late 80s, early 90s. Um, You know, Audio 2, Milk is Chillin'. Um, uh, I also like uh, Jasmine Sullivan right now Mm -hmm. and uh, Ari Lennox. And... um, Oh God, it's it's a lot. I'm a music junkie, and my alternate persona, Stella Jones, has allowed me to outlet. Yeah, play different types of music and different things that I love. Ladies, um, but yeah, I'm a I'm a music junkie. Stella, Most deaf. Stella Jones actually in, interjects music into the the story she writes. So yes, you can find. I mean, if if there's ever been a book that needs a soundtrack. <laughs> 
It is definitely yeah. the Stella Jones novels because she'll give you an index of what music to play that plays into the story and goes with what she's talking about. It's amazing. Like Dr. Lisa is 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 a woman of of so many different amazing secrets and talents. <laughs> well, before we go, please remind the peeps how they can find you and tell us anything fun and fabulous that's going on that you want us to know about. Ooh, okay. So um, my website is www.lwbmd.com. So that's just my initials, Lisa Witty Bradley, and then md.com. Um, I also have a social media platform called Chicks with MDs, and I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, uh, oh, LinkedIn, um, oh, TikTok. And so, and I also um, write under a pseudonym, Stella Jones. And so I am Stella Jones Paranormal Romance on Instagram, Twitter, um, and Facebook. And if you're on TikTok, follow me. I'm Stella Jones author. We have a lot of fun there. I, I put um, excerpts from my books and then uh, with some music accompaniment. And um, I have a lot of fun, a lot of carefree fun over there. Um, yeah, y'all should watch it and get a glass uh, of wine, y'all, because I read one excerpt that was like, woo, child. <laughs> so, um, uh, what do I have coming up for 2023? So I'm on this wonderful broadcast, so I can't wait for that to go. Um, I also, oh, if you are uh, uh, a undergrad or you're applying for medical school, I have uh, online courses that I started for um, personal statement writing because I mentor a lot of students and I do a lot of um, consulting with uh, universities, etc. And the thing that I, and I've also served on admission committees. And one of the things that people need help with the most is their personal statement, which gets ignored. Um, and they don't really uh, understand that if you have a great personal statement, it sets you apart. So I created a course because people weren't listening to me uh, when I get, when I told them for free. So sometimes when you provide a course and they have their own way to navigate through the process, they actually take your uh, recommendation. So I have that. And then I also mentor um, residents and fellows and physicians in practice on contract negotiations. So I also have uh, an online course for contract negotiations. So all of that stuff is on my Amazing. website. Amazing. I thank you yes. so much from the bottom of my heart for coming all the way to your computer today <laughs> and having this conversation with me. I appreciate you so much. And I'm going to wrap it up by saying, ladies check and gentlemen, check out lwbmd.com for this amazing health hero, our guest today, Dr. Lisa Witty Bradley. All right, fitness fam. Remember when I told you to grab your pens and pads? Well, here's a little recap of the important tips on how to be the captains of our own healthcare team. First, don't wait for a crisis to develop your healthcare team. Our self-care continuum begins at home. Find out what access you have via your insurance or whatever healthcare system you belong to and build from there. Don't forget to talk to the people in your circle to get referrals. At the very least, they'll tell you who not to see. Next, Get yourself a journal so you can document your appointments and all of your questions for your healthcare providers. 
make sure you have support, whether it's someone who can be there to help translate language or be a shoulder to lean on and a hand to hold. Take a deep breath and take your time. Most importantly, don't lie to your healthcare practitioner. Well, my friends, the time has come. I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening to the Be Your Own Health Hero podcast. Don't forget to tell all your super friends that they can find me on their favorite podcast platform, on Instagram as BYO Health Hero, or you can email me at info at beyourownhealthhero.com. Please like, subscribe, and share. I'm your host, Joe Martinez, and until next time, I'm out.